Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm James, and uh, we're going to have a great, great morning this morning. It's good to see you here, and uh, it's a special day with Blazers Game 7. Something about moms as well, but Blazers Game 7. So I looked all over town. I've, I've got uh, one of these on. Can you see that? Uh, this is a logo. I don't know what it is, but I'm keeping it covered just in case. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm like on the bandwagon, but on the edge, you know, and uh, if you play against the uh, terrible Golden State Warriors, I will be fully on the bandwagon uh, because we all hate the Warriors. I'm pausing for the amen. In my notes, it says pause for the amen after I say that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about happiness and what makes you happy. I, I love this video that we played because there's uh, something about our happiness uh, that is affected by our relationships with other people. I think that God made us uh, as relational people. Uh, I think God is a relational being. This is why we believe in the Trinity, that God exists eternally and has existed eternally, even though we can't understand that. He has existed eternally as three persons uh, who is only one being, and that's more complicated than our brains can handle. But God has existed in a relationship eternally, and so when people were his creation, uh, that relational part of God is a part of God where we are made in his image, and we're designed to be uh, friends uh, at different levels with all sorts of people. We're designed to be loved, and we're designed to love other people, and so there's this a uh, question about what makes us happy that needs to be affected by our relationships to the people around us and really our, our relationship to the world around us. If you've noticed people who you would say, oh, they're a happy person, they tend to be just like at peace with the world around them. They don't uh, feel the angst that you do when you watch cable news. Uh, they don't feel the angst that you do when you're stressing out about all the terrible things in the world. There's just kind of this peace with the world around them where they're like, I'm, I'm happy and I can handle the things outside of me a lot of times because I have a good relationship uh, with the people close to me and a good relationship with myself and a good relationship with God. And so this peace with God is a, is a relationship that affects our happiness. And I actually think, well, I'm going to show you what the Bible says. I don't think that the Bible says you can actually have peace with the people around you without having peace with God uh, because of the nature of peace uh, and because of that nature of that um, relational interaction that we have with the people around us. So uh, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to read to you from the book of Romans. Um, the book of Romans is uh, written by a guy named Paul who was the primary leader in the very early church. And there was a church in the city of Rome, uh, which was kind of like the capital of the world at that time. Uh, during the very, very early stages of the church. And the Christians, or sorry, the Jewish Christians, uh, by this time, there were Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians all got ran out of town. And so afterwards, they came back to town, and there was obviously some conflict, right? Someone was sitting in their spot. Uh, they used to uh, make the popcorn for the kids on Sunday mornings, and someone else was doing that, right? And they're like, well, where's my place now? What do I do? And and there's a lot of, you know, there's some natural conflict there. And so when Paul wrote this letter to them, it was very much about this is what we're all about. Like this is 
the core of who we are. And so the book of Romans, uh, it's one of the ones I suggest to people read if they want to understand what Christianity is about. But it's very technical, and it's not like a, uh, it's, it's more like reading a manual on how to set up your TV than a story. You know, if you want to read a story about Jesus, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you want to read a technical manual, uh, that's more uh, the book of Romans. So we're just going to read two verses and there's going to be like 65 different things that we talk about in those two verses, but that's how the book of Romans is. So, all right. Uh, so this is Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, right in the middle of the book. Um, and we're going to put it on the screen. I'm reading from the NCV, uh, which is a translation. We're not putting it on the screen, so I'm going to bring it up on my phone. Uh, NCV actually translates a lot of the words uh, as happy, and uh, so I'm using NCV, but I don't own an NCV Bible, and so I've been preparing all these sermons right off my phone as if that's normal for human beings, so uh, surprise. (laughs) Here's what it says, Uh, (laughs) and we'll just have the logo here. Uh, Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are happy because of the hope we have in sharing God's glory. I'm going to read that all again, piece by piece, because there's like six different things. Since we have been made right with God by our faith, then we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ, who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. So we have been made right, this all begins, since we have been made right with God by our faith. There assumes in there a non-rightness. If we've been made right, then at some point we weren't right. And we weren't right with God because that relationship with God is broken. Uh, Some people say like your peace with God is broken. And that is where we get to what the Bible calls sin. And sin, just definition-wise, sin is anything that breaks a relationship, specifically your relationship between you and God. But if you've done things uh, on purpose or accidentally that break a relationship with another person, that stuff breaks the relationship and then needs to be overcome. If you want to be made right with someone else, you need to overcome those things that make things wrong between you and that other person. Sometimes they're huge, sometimes they're little, but they're always things. They're always, like, they're a real something. And so if you're wanting to be in right relationship with God, that sin or that brokenness of your relationship with God that is on us always needs to be dealt with. And what's actually the good news of of God is that Jesus came to earth, like, we have been made right with God by our faith, but it's our faith in uh, what happened through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the things that Jesus did in his perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus, like, Jesus made peace with God possible for us. And so it's peace with God is put out there by Jesus, and then it's our responsibility or it's our opportunity or it's our gift to be able to step into that peace and enjoy peace with God because of what Jesus has done. So since we have been made right with God by our faith, when we put our full faith and trust in God through Jesus, we actually have peace with God. And then we have this peace with God who 
I'm going to read the second verse. Who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. So through our faith, we're brought into the blessing of God's grace. Grace is when we... This is grace. When the verses appear on the screen. (laughs) And who through faith has brought us into the blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. The now enjoy assumes that he's writing to people who've put their full faith and trust in God. Before that, you enjoy God's mercy. Mercy is the withholding of wrath. Grace is like the unmerited giving of favor. And so we receive the favor of God that we haven't earned, that we don't deserve. Like peace with God isn't something that we deserve just because we're awesome. It's something that's given to us because uh, because it's given to us through Jesus. It's unmerited. And so then we're happy because we share in God's glory. And if you're here last week, uh, God's glory is like the demonstration of his holiness. And holiness is what it means to be set apart, to be different from the things around us. Do you see how there's like two verses and it's like layers upon layers upon layers upon layers? Uh, this is, Paul would kill at Twitter. Uh, he would write these little things out and, and then the news would just have to read them. Like that's what the news does now. It just reads famous people's tweets. Uh, <laughs> And so Paul would write these things, and we're like, okay, so all the way down here, we're enjoying what it means to be separate from the world, living differently because of our faith in Christ, because God has given that to us, because we share in his glory, and we only share in his glory because we've been made right with God, and so we experience his grace all the way back to because of what Jesus did on the cross. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, We have peace with God, and we enjoy what it is to be happy. You can be happy no matter your situation, no matter the outside world, because your experience is separate from that, because you're an adopted member of God's family, because we refer to God as our Father, and He is a good Father. He is uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all completely acting for the benefit of those who love him. And really, that's when it comes down to peace, if you're going to have peace in a relationship, it's a lot more dependent on the person in the relationship who has the power, isn't it? Like if you are in a relationship and the other person holds the power and you don't, and that's, some relationship goes back and forth, maybe in a parent-child relationship, it doesn't go back and forth as much, or if you're a, a strong country and a weak country, it's dependent on the stronger of the two to decide that we're going to have peace, right? If God is the powerful in our relationship between us and God, then us having peace with God is dependent on God deciding that we can have peace with God. Now, we can always, as the weaker party, still do some kind of uprising and still kind of resist that peace, but we don't get to choose peace unless the more powerful agent in the relationship has chosen peace. And so because God has chosen, God has declared, and God has acted in such a way that he wants to have peace between himself and humans, we are able to have peace with God. And so it makes us happy because the all-powerful God has decided to act towards us in a benevolent way. God has decided to act towards us in a kind, in a happy, in a gracious way. We don't deserve it. 
God doesn't owe us that. It's kind of strange because people will read things in the Bible that they disagree with and be like, well, I just don't like that God. Like as if we have the power to decide if God exists or not, if God is acting right or not. It's like, I know this is kind of a silly illustration, but it'd be like if you made something out of clay or out of Play-Doh and then it looked at you and said, I don't think you're real. (laughs) And you would say, squish, because you're not a benevolent God, (laughs) right? You're freaked out that your clay is speaking to you, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it is... Uh, I know that's silly because the relationship between us and God is is much more magnified than that. It's not that God made something out of clay. It's that God made everything out of nothing, uh, which is uh, to show God's power. I mean, we we can't give an illustration of that. It's so much more than we can imagine. And so when God, in his all powerfulness, decides we're gonna have a relationship and then humans... All humans, like the book of Romans says, all humans sin. All of us break that relationship between us and God, and so God always says, I'm not going to squish you. I'm going to create a way for us to be in relationship through Jesus Christ. That's the way that God wants the world to work. That is to say, God actually wants you to be happy. I don't know that all Christians actually believe that. And I don't know that I always have believed that as a Christian. There's sometimes I think that God wants me to be angry. Or sometimes I think that God wants me to suffer so that I'll be better at something. But the grace of God, like we are happy because of the hope we have sharing in God's glory. And so it should be characteristic of Christians that we are happy. But how many of you know non-Christians who would say, oh, I know Christians, they are weirdly happy. (laughs) They would use different words. They are weirdly judgmental. (laughs) They are weirdly rude. (laughs) They are weirdly, and whatever they would say. But it's really what should be the descriptor of Christians is They are happy, and I don't understand why, because nobody likes them, because they're judgmental. (laughs) But imagine what it would be if your life was characterized by happiness. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't go, well, you know what, happiness, that just, that sounds like, nah, that's kind of flighty. I like the God that makes my life really suck. (laughs) We want the, like, God offers happiness, And we continually choose rebellion against that happiness. Again, I know that, like, just saying that sounds kind of self-helpy, right? Like, you're going to live your best life now, and you be you, right? But I actually don't think the Scripture teaches that at all. I think it teaches you live Christ's life now, and you be Jesus. Because if you be you, you just get more of you, and you are, according to the Bible, in natural rebellion against God. And if you're just living your best life, you're not living Christ's best life. Not that I'm against either of those hashtags. You be you. Go ahead. I don't care. There's lots of you kind of you. Okay, no, that's judgmental. I'm really happy about you doing that. I'm happy to watch you flounder. It's like a living fail video. That's rude, huh? That's happiness mask. That's a mask. 
Do we have the rest of the scriptures up here? All right, let's move on. I think that's a good time. How does this actually live out? This is 1 John. Um, John wrote these, and John was Jesus' number one guy when Jesus was on earth. John the disciple, all right? Uh, he actually writes uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John at the end of the New Testament, and this is from the first letter that he wrote to the church in general. And he uses these metaphors of light and darkness quite a bit, uh, just talking about what it is to uh, contrast between what it is to be uh, at peace with God and living for God and living with Jesus uh, and, and versus not, all right? So this is verse 6 and 7. Then I'm going to read a couple verses from uh, chapter 4 as well. And it's just a short little letter. Uh, so this is what Jesus' best friend says uh, long after, 30, 40 years after Jesus uh, has left. So if we say we have fellowship with God, meaning we have a relationship with God, but we continue living in darkness, and you can understand what that means just by the metaphor, we are liars and we do not follow the truth. But if we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. So that you understand that last line, because none of us would actually think, you know what I need to clean this up? More blood. Uh, <laughs> the blood of Jesus means his death, because they grew up, and John was a Jewish person, and so they would have grown up in a sacrificial system where when there is sin, there needs to be blood shed. And so in Jesus' death, his blood is shed, and that's their metaphor for Jesus' death, or their just colloquial phrase for Jesus' death. And so when Jesus' blood is shed, it actually is able to erase the sin. And not just covered up, not just to make it ignorable. Uh, it actually, the Bible says, like it's as far away from us as east is from the west. It's in the deepest parts of the ocean that to this day we still haven't explored. We, there is just, it is as far from us as we could imagine it being from us. It has nothing to do with us. And so your sin actually, and there's sometimes when you sin that you have to deal with those consequences of your sin in any relationship. But when true forgiveness happens, that sin is no longer held on to part of your identity. When true forgiveness happens in our relationship with God or in our relationship with each other, when true forgiveness happens, that sin is no longer held on to as a modifier in that relationship. I trust you. We're friends. Except one time you punched me in the face and I didn't understand that, so now I don't get too close to you. That's not forgiveness, right? That's protection. And if your friend has like a habit of randomly punching people in the face, maybe that's a healthy relationship. But forgiveness all the way would say, yes, that happened one time, but I'm still going to stand close to you. And I know that's a silly metaphor, but we also know in our real relationships, forgiveness isn't easy. Saying and thinking and maybe even feeling forgiveness might be easier than acting on that forgiven state with the other person. Yet God loved us even before we loved him. This is the next verse. Can we flip to 1 John 4? We love because God first loved us. The Bible actually says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you deserved it, God made peace with you. For some of you, before you even wanted it, God made peace with you. For some of you, before you even knew that God existed or that God wanted to have a relationship with you, God made peace with you. God loves. 
So if people say, and this is the same letter, just saying this in a different way, if people say, I love God, but they hate their brothers or sisters, they are liars. Those who do not love their brothers and sisters who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And God gave us this command, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. This whole verse creates problems in our culture. Because we would say, those who do not love their brothers and sisters who they have seen cannot love God, whom they have never seen. We live as people who have natural prejudices, and when we see, our eyes trigger our brain making judgments on people. And so sometimes seeing actually makes it harder to love. For some of us, we have people or uh, ways of dressing or ways of being who when we see them, our brain has a reaction before love. And so seeing is like a disadvantage. And what this all goes back to is that disadvantage is created by your lack of Christ-likeness. Because everybody is posting, well, almost everybody, all the good people, I won't do this today, but all the good people are posting pictures of them and their mom. Right? And when you see a picture, if you're a parent and you see a picture of your kid, you see parts that look like you and parts that look like your partner, and there's warm feelings. Like God made your children look like the person you love because that's an advantage because your children are generally annoying. Right? <laughs> they show up wearing a Denver Nuggets jersey. <sighs> you didn't think I was going to let that go. <laughs> So God gives us this advantage, and we see, like, I married someone I found pretty because I wanted to have kids that I enjoyed being around. <laughs> right? Y'all just aren't admitting it. I did that on purpose. <laughs> but, but that's an advantage. When we see and we recognize you're like me, there is an affection that comes, but that affection is completely, uh, like, earthly, selfish about us. But when God looks at his creation, do you know what God sees? Himself. If people are made in the image of God, then God looks at you and says, oh, he has my nose. That's why it's so big, because God is very big. He has my ears. <laughs> when God looks at you, he sees an image of himself. And so God feels about you at the core of who he is the way you feel about the people who look like you. If you're wearing Portland stuff and you see someone else wearing Portland stuff, you feel an affection for them. Right? You're like, we're going to be sad together later. <laughs> <laughs> Because we can't be the warriors. Because we can't be the warriors. I don't know what you guys are talking about. but <laughs> And you can't land free agents, but that's a whole other thing. But you have this affection. When you go on vacation, don't you wear a beavers or a duck shirt because you're going to see someone and they're like, hey, go beavers, right? And you're on the other side of the world and you're like, we're the same. You feel that. <laughs> 
It's stupid, but you feel it, right? Like I, on a regular basis, wear stuff with Canada on it, just looking for a fellow person. Like we have the same problems with words, right? <laughs> and spelling and public access healthcare. When, <laughs> when, <laughs> when God sees you, he feels all of those same feelings except it's magnified because you're made in the image of God. So if you're a Christian who sees the world the way God sees the world, then you have the advantage of those who do not love their brothers or sisters whom they have not seen cannot love God. You have the advantage of seeing humans in the image of God. So when people behave in a relational way, when people do things that are beautiful, when people just exist, you're able to look at them and say, there's things about that person that remind me of God. And so it's easy to love that person because God is so beautiful. And I'm connected to God, and so that makes me able to love all these people, even though some of them are just a little bit naturally annoying. It comes around to where a Christian who's known for being happy is also known for loving all the people. Like being happy actually becomes the easy thing in this whole equation. But being the people who love all the people becomes the more difficult thing. Because love is actually difficult, right? Like if love gave us an easy answer to our political issues, uh, it would be great. It, but the, when we have issues, it's always because there's a tension between I love here and I love here, and there's conflict between those two people. How do I handle this situation, right? And we wish that we would just be like, oh, everything has an answer. Everything has a solution. But if you're, this goes back to God being like our, our great father, there's sometimes Christians that don't agree with each other, and we think, oh, well, if I just, I need to get on God's good side so he chooses me. And in that, you know what, God, God reacts with a broken heart the same way you break, your heart breaks when your kids don't get along. Or if you don't have kids, if you have friends that aren't getting along, your heart breaks because you want to hang out. And you know you can't have the fullness of that relationship. But if we are looking at people the way that God looks at people, we're able to see past that conflict and see people in the way that God sees them. I think this is, for me, like this, is, this change in viewpoint will affect your life the most out of any changes. Like your life and your relationships with the people around you will affect your life more than any changes that God makes in you. In you. Your interactions with the humans around you will completely change if you believe that they're all made in the image of God. Because I would, like, if we were to say, uh, like real quick, think of like three people that are terrible, you're there, right? There, now you're there, right? Some of you were quick. Some of you felt a little twinge of guilt, and then you're like, yeah, those people are terrible. And some of you went historic, and you thought like historically bad characters and stuff like that. But we can think of those people really quickly. And then the challenge for the Christian is to allow ourselves to see them in the way that God sees them. Because we love, because God first loved us. 
And so even the people who are actively working against me, I am able to choose to love them. Which doesn't mean I, uh, like, oh, this is silly again. I'm going to use silly examples because I don't want you to get angry. But if you think about people who are terrorists, terrorists who actively want to harm Western people, right? We see this on the news all the time. There are a lot of people, and it's easy to hate. It's easy. A terrorist person uh, gives a, a lot of reason. And then we have news stations that increase that anxiety because that makes us watch more news stations and they sell more commercials because that's really what the news is about. The Christians, because of God's indwelling presence, for some reason have an ability to love even when others wish us harm. That doesn't mean that all the Christians are putting themselves in harm's way intentionally. That's not what love does. Love does, I mean, sometimes love does that, but that's not the automatic response of love. Otherwise, all the Christians should be lining up, right? But sometimes, sometimes love has to live in that gap where there's a lot of tension over what do I do with this? Like, I'm not suggesting you stand up or you put on social media like, I love this person, this person, and this person. That's just going to be misunderstood. I wouldn't even suggest you write them a letter telling them that you love them. That's just going to be misunderstood. But when you're encountering with situations, you actually feel something different as a result of a situation that's bad or good according to the world. You feel something different because you're able to see in every person the image of God manifested because every person is created by God and loved by God. If you have five billion children, seven billion children, and a couple of them are misbehaving, who are the ones you're thinking about? The ones that are misbehaving. If you have 20 friends in your group and one of them is suffering, who's the one you're thinking about? The one that's suffering. This is the heart of God experienced. And so when God looks at humanity... He looks at those who are broken. He looks at those who are suffering, and those tend to have his attention. Which is kind of a strange thing, because what religion tells us is those who are behaving the best are getting God's attention, right? I attend church a lot. I pray. I have a long streak on my Bible app. I'm doing all these things so that I can build and build and build so God is impressed with me and God will pay attention to me. That's what religion teaches us, and that's why I'm not a big fan of religion. That's why Jesus is not a big fan of religion. Because a father's love, a good father's love that God gives, actually pays attention and has the mindset for those who are broken and hurting. So if you're here and you're feeling broken and you're feeling hurting and you feel like you're not living up to your potential, any guilt or shame you feel is religion pushing that onto you, which is not what God is in the business of. The relationship with you that God wants to have and God has provided for actually means that God's love is turned more towards you. So you might be in church and you're sitting around some people who just look like they have it all together and you notice that and you're like, man, God must notice that. God generally ignores that person. Everybody comes home with a report card 
And if a whole bunch of people have like three and four and two point O's and higher, I don't didn't do that system. I went to school somewhere else. Uh, and then there's a kid who has a GPA of 0 0.57. Which kid is getting the parent's attention, right? And not, not in a condemning way. A good parent actually says, what can we do to help you eventually be able to move out, right? <laughs> and if God is a good parent, he's not here to shame. Like, you might have a low GPA on your Christian level. Like, you might have a low GPA on your life in general. And God isn't here to shame you. God is, and God isn't here to just pay attention to the all-stars, the people who've got it all together. God actually seems to turn his heart towards those who need his attention. And not just who need his love, who need his grace and his experience of mercy. The last question you can ask at the bottom of this is when it says, and God gave us this command, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. And there's this technicality you can ask and say, does that mean I only have to love the other Christians? Because they're my brothers and sisters in the family of God. And there's this uh, little story that Jesus told. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And there was a person who was of a different race that got hurt. And some people walked by and some people helped. And Jesus said, so who, when the, the God's, Jesus said, you all have to love your neighbor. And they said, who's your neighbor? Because I want to, do I just have to love the people that live next to me or across the street too? Like next to me, they're all right. Across the street? True story. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> and Jesus tells a story that goes in the face of all that and says, every one you encounter is your neighbor. And we can look at that as Christians and think, this is an unbelievable standard. Like, I have to love everyone? Everyone. I have to be a, like James, I have to be a happy person that sees everyone the way God sees them, that walks around smiling and praying for everyone all the time. And that sounds like a chore. Except if we're able to see people with the perspective of God's grace. If we're able to not do this on our own energy, but if we focus on our relationship with God, peace with God, then peace with the people around us becomes a natural byproduct. This is what I mean. If your life is screwed up, if there's people around you that you are not in good relationship with, you don't necessarily need to put more effort into that you need, and I don't, you need to put effort into your relationship with God in such a way that that overflows into those other relationships. And not just people that are close to you, people that you have unwitting bias and prejudice against, people that you disagree with, politically or religiously or in, in anything. Your love for them isn't something you need to work on more, your love for them needs to be an overflow of God's love for you because God loves you so much and God pours so much grace into your life because you're meant to be a blessing to other people and pour that onto other people. Then your experience becomes so happy you can't stop it. Like God has blessed me so much that I get to be a blessing to other people. What's there not to be happy about? I'm living a life that benefits other people and I can't dream of something that's cooler in the world. 
Let's play that. Let's pray that way, all right? Let's stand. We'll pray that way. And then we're going to worship God. So let's pray. Jesus, there are some of us here today who, when I talk about not being all stars at life, or I talk about being broken, or when I talk about uh, having like a low GPA in our Christianity, and those of us in this room, whether we're in that spot right now or we were in that spot, we've all experienced what it means to be in a low spot, some deeper than others, I'm sure, but for all of us it was very real. And I want to thank you that you love us with the love of a parent that pours into that space. We want to ask your forgiveness for being frustrating children. You made us all in your image with this incredible potential, and for some reason we have this natural bent of rebellion, this natural bent against you. And so we want to pray, not just me, God, but like I want to pray on behalf of all of us. And you can, like if you're here and you want to agree, you can agree in your own heart. We want to pray and ask for you for, to forgive us for our sins and give us peace with God because you have made that possible through your Son. And then, Lord, make us happy because we live in the light and we love others and we are not liars. May your grace pour out onto us in an overwhelming, in an overflowing kind of way so that we experience the joy and the peace and the happiness that comes from having a right relationship with God and the right relationships with others that come from having a right relationship with God. By your name we pray this, and we worship you now because of your love for us before we even loved you. Amen.